I want to encourage you, as Errol has said, to keep up to track with stuff. We are on session three okay, of this, and I'm going to chat in the week with, we'll mark them on the podcast, mark them on the website. You will know which sessions, because I know sometimes people have 30 videos on a, and you don't know which is the first one. You're like, so we'll mark them one, two, and three, and you can follow, and I really encourage you to keep up to date, because what we are speaking about now, and what we're talking into now, is, is crucial for our understanding of what God is saying to us. So I'm not going to delay. I'm going to keep going. Let's get this thing here. Hoy, here we go. I'm going to literally I put it into gear, click, and go. Elabella, let's put that first slide up, perhaps. Just the main picture. Okay, I just want to reiterate, okay, what we are basing this thing upon. It's on Acts 20, 27, where Paul says to the Ephesians elders, he calls them out, and they walk to him at a, at a city about 16 kilometers outside of Ephesus, and he says to them, Part of that, all that I've taught you, I did not shrink back from teaching you the whole council. The end times eschatology is meaning it's the whole council. It's everything, okay, that God has explained to us and given to us on the understanding of how we walk. Remember, as we are studying this end time eschatology, eschatology means the final things. There's a Greek word, eschos, okay, eschatos, which means, eschatos, which means the final things, end things, okay, that we are speaking into and we're building up this journey to get to. Uh, last week I spoke into this, this whole thing of anti-Semitism, the hatred towards Israel, okay, which works into words like supersessionism and replacement theology. Those are the statements that work around that understanding, where the understanding is that the church has replaced Israel. And like I read to you in Romans 11 last week, that it's very clear where Paul makes it, that we have been grafted in, okay? So there's a difference between um, being ignorant and being arrogant. And I'm helping you in your ignorance, and I'm trusting that in your, if there is any arrogance, which I didn't pick up in the room, if there was, someone already would have phoned me in the week and said, like, what are you doing? And there wasn't that. So I'm trusting there's more ignorance in the room than arrogance, but we're all on a journey together in understanding this, remembering that we have been grafted into the main olive branch, Okay, and the time of the Gentiles, who we are, except Russell came and spoke to me, we have a Jewish man in our midst and stuff. And, uh, and I know with um, Margaret Libbing and, and that. So uh, the time of the Gentiles will come to end. But the signs we look for is that when revival starts taking place in Israel and people turn to Jesus, it's a sign of the times. It's a sign that God wants to do things and the return of the Messiah is imminent and close. And I think we witnessed something last week that we allowed Scripture to speak to us. Okay, so Scripture interprets Scripture. Okay, I don't interpret Scripture on my own terms. It, scripture always confirms itself. Okay, I'm, I'm quite tempted to actually read Revelation like that. It'll take a while, and we won't do it in one sitting. That could be a while. We'll not be ending the meeting at 11 that morning. But there's something very powerful that takes place when you read it and just let it massage. Why? Because it's alive. It's not just a book with a whole lot of words and pages like, well, we'll lack a story there. Gee, it really expands over a lot of time. No, it's anointed. It's alive because Jesus is the Word. And it's truth that speaks to our hearts and the Spirit says, yes, that's it. You're catching it. That's what I'm saying when I'm saying these things in the Word that He asked His different people to read and to, to scribe and write down. And now we have history of that. I mean, you think of in the synagogues. And they, they, every week there's a scripture that's being read and they read through the whole of the Torah and the... And the, all the prophets and all the, and all the psalms and the, the, the songs and stuff that are written. How Moses read to the people. Okay, so we're going to pick up 
from, from last week, okay, so we pick up this week. I want to just reiterate this, what we were saying, because we've got a short time in amongst of what we're doing now. We must remember, okay, that God is a generational God. Okay, it's not just, okay, here it is. When He speaks, and the covenant He gave to Abraham in the very beginning was passed on to His son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob, who became the name Israel. Remembering the term that God gave Jacob, the term Israel, was a spiritual term to a people that would walk by faith, okay? And it was a spiritual term, understanding that these will be people who believe because it was credited to Moses as righteousness of his faith. Moses, I mean, uh, Abraham didn't do anything to achieve it. He just believed. The root, Farnas has said this a thousand times here, believing right will produce the fruit right, okay? Because it's based upon the covenant that was ready in place, and we'll read that and we'll do that probably, I'm away for two weeks now, I'm away on the camp next weekend, and then the following weekend I'm in Lapopo, and then we're going to pick up and we're going to go through the covenants, okay? And that covenant that God set in place with Abraham in Genesis 15. So the people of God, the Jewish people that left, Israel, that left Egypt, they were required to be a people of faith, faith, okay? At first, okay, they were a nation of believers, and they crossed the Red Sea, it required faith of them. But immediately, as they become a second and a third generation, not all of them remained believers. And not all of them carried the same faith that they'd understood. So in a sense, when you walk through this journey, you've got, in a way, two Israels. Okay, you've got Israel, who are the nation, the nationality, the people of Israel, the land. But then you have Israel, who are the believing people by faith. Okay? It's very important to understand that because that's where you can go wrong. And you call it, clarify it to the nation, the land and stuff. Okay? Those that are truly God's people have faith and believe. It's a spiritual position that you understand by being before God. So those who are the descendants of God's people are, being, are, uh, are made a holy nation, but they're not necessarily born again. Okay? They are just Israel. Okay, so, yeah, we understand. They are not God's people just because they descend from, um, from God's people. Okay? Neither are they Abraham's seed just because they are born of his blood. Okay? Like my dad always used to say, if you're born in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Okay? I don't know why that came to me. That was random. Because he said it all the time. That's right. If you're born in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Okay? If you're born in Israel, it doesn't mean you're saved. Okay? Not because of blood. Okay? Understand. That's also very important to understand. So it's like the real Israel within the bigger Israel. Okay? So those that had with, with true faith of Abraham and not just by his blood, but by faith. Okay? So what happens is the true Israel is a, is a faith leading. And what has happened is you read from the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... What happened is the true Israel, the real Israel, essentially became smaller and smaller and smaller within the greater understanding of who Israel and what that is. Okay, and so eventually, and you've all heard this term, this is what the Bible refers to is as the remnant. There was always a remnant. Those that just believed, those that held on to the truths, those whose lives walked according in that old covenant, walked according to the law of faith and belief that God had set into them in place. 
Okay? Always is a rem- remnant. The rem- remnant were those who truly believed and God preserved them and used them to uphold His word. Okay? So example of this is the Isaiah prophet, uh, prophet Isaiah, where he says in, he says in, um, in uh, Isaiah 1 verse 9, which is close to where Kathleen was reading, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah, literally been destroyed. But there were those that believed. There were those that trusted. There were those that knew. So the take the, if you take the time to read through the Old Testament, okay, over and over and over again, you will see a small group of people, a lone voice of people, often the prophets, small inner Israel, that still believed and had faith in Yahweh God. So you think of Daniel. You think of Esther. You think of Isaiah. Think of Jeremiah. Think of all these names. Hosea is one of them. The list goes on and on and on. So what I've realized is that I struggle to believe that take an example like King Ahab, just because he's an Israelite, will now be in glory. He was a wicked, wicked man. So think about the sons of Korah, who were God's people, but they were disobedient, and they stood up to this leadership. Moses, who do you think you are? What did God do? The earth basically swallowed them up. Okay? Just because you're born in Israel and are a Jew, it doesn't mean you're saved. You have to walk in His ways and believe by faith in His goodness. That is very important to understand. You don't just get it because, oh, I am. Okay? So I don't, I, I don't see that, how a guy like Ahab could just be in glory because. So there's a context to Luke 16 where Jesus is telling the story where He's speaking... Um, I can't remember who was speaking to him, the Pharisees, but he, this verse says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, be, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. Hades is basically hell. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So if you remember the story, Jesus is talking to this group of people. And this guy, um, the, the, the rich guy, was basically in Hades in hell. He could see Lazarus, who was this poor man, and he's he saying to him, just, just please get me out of here. But you had everything. In this life you had everything. I had nothing. Now I have everything. But because you didn't believe, because you didn't have faith in this God, these are now the consequences of eternity in that position. Think about the seriousness when you think about eternity. And he's saying, oh, well, if, you, if I can't get out, just go and tell my brothers, go and tell my family. If they would just believe. The truth. So this place of Abraham's bosom, they would call it, is it's almost like it's difficult to understand a little bit, but it's like almost a resting place and a holding place of paradise in a way where Jesus says on the cross, You will be with me in paradise, because at that moment he believed. He had faith. You you must you must be the Son of God. You must be. You will be with me in paradise. At the last minute. He did nothing to deserve it. Think about it. Okay? And, this, it's a, and, and the day of judgment for all will come. And they will stand before God. And if you haven't believed by faith in the Almighty God and the covenant according you will under, then there will be judgment. Okay? And we must remember in all this, I realized, I can't love like God loves. God, God never forgets. Okay? So if you read the story of Ahab, and he was wicked. I mean, wicked in all his ways. His wife was Jezebel. That caused a lot of problems in Israel. And there's this verse in two King, 1 Kings um, 21 that says, 
running, I've got it there. No, it's not that one. It says here, because, and this is the Lord saying to, 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 um, to Elijah, he says, because Ahab has humbled himself before me. Now, this is where God wanted to wipe him out. I will not bring disaster in his days, but his son's days I will bring disaster upon his house. See, the Lord is merciful, but he will never forget. He never forgets his promises, and he never forgets where those that have set against him, he will set order. Disobedience, I guarantee you. And the word is full of that, because the next, very next chapter, Ahab dies. Because the prophet is telling him the truth, and he says, like, I don't, stop telling me that. I want you to just, and he asked for other prophets to prophesy falsely to him. And Micaiah, the prophet, prophesied to him truth. And in the end, he was shot in the battlefield and killed. God never forgets, okay? Even though he, he, the Lord says, I can see that Ahab has humbled himself, but still disaster will come upon his family. So if you look at this story here, okay? And it's not in context of anything of what we're saying here, but I want to, this is telling us God doesn't forget. So this is in 1 Kings 16. This guy, in his dad's hill of Bethel, built Jericho. Now, this is hundreds of years after Joshua. He laid his foundation at the cost of his firstborn and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua of Nun. If you don't know the context of that, hundreds of years ago, Joshua said this. Joshua laid an oath on them, saying, this is after, now they've conquered Jericho. Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was all over the land. It was hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years would have said, this guy went in disobedience, did it, and what did he do? Lost his firstborn and his youngest son. God doesn't forget. Doesn't forget his goodness and his mercy to us. Okay, now we have to understand about the covenants that God has given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and the Mosaic, and the Davidic covenant. He never forgets. Okay? So we have to hold on to that. See, I'll speak into each one of these covenants. And understanding that God's covenant that He gave to Abraham in Genesis 15, it doesn't, it doesn't now disappear. Just because, oh, like, oh, sorry, I forgot about that. It was a covenant of heart, belief, and land to Abraham. The Mosaic covenant, I'll talk into the understanding of that, that was really a conditional covenant. If you obey Israel, you will be blessed. And then the Davidic covenant, which we understand, out of that line came the Messiah. And that's where we're standing now as believers of true understanding who we are in God. So, if we look at this thing of, of um, the... The, these covenants that are set in place, then you take these 400 years of silence, and I know Farnas went into this a couple of weeks ago, okay? And this time where God was silent before His people, and no prophet, no word from the Lord at all, and the silence that took place. So what happened in this time when there was no word from the Lord, these groups of people arose in this time who were essentially wanting to continue the traditions, but they were more traditions than necessarily believing by faith. In the mighty God. So in that 400 years of time, you had the Pharisees arise and it formed a group of people. You had the Sadducees, the, the Herodians, the Zealots, the Scribes, and the Essenes. were all different groups of people that arose. It doesn't necessarily mean any of those were remnants. Because they were following tradition rather than following the, the, the truth by faith and believing in this mighty God, trusting for a Messiah. Because when the Messiah came, most of those groups missed it. And they couldn't see it right in front of them. Okay, but we understand this thing of remnant is very powerful. It can in a way, and I know Jeanette has said this in our meetings, and that, that, that the remnant re refers a lot to Israel. 
But when you look at the, at the times we're living in right now, you can see the, the church, they would say, is over 2 billion people around the world. Is that truly the church? Or is that just people who do the duty and understand they are saved, but they're actually not kingdom ambassadors? There's a very big difference. Being a kingdom ambassador, living by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, doing the works as Jesus did, and walking in faith and trusting, because Luke 18 says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on this earth? And I read that this morning. It was almost like He said, I've come. And you know what? I didn't find faith. There was a remnant. So here's an example of the remnant. When Jesus was eight days old, and He was brought to the temple for purification purposes according to the law of Moses, that they were still following, they were still needing to do to honor this baby that's been born. Who saw Him? Anna and Simeon. They were aged, older people. But what were they? They were believing. They saw it. This is it. This is the Messiah. I've seen Him. This is the one. And Simeon says these words to, to, to Mary that just always hit me. Man, this guy's going to upheaval things here. He's going to turn things upside down here in this time. But don't lose heart. And it says Mary kept these things in her heart. Man, who is the son? What is he going to do here? And he turned everything around of Israel. But they were like a remnant. They were just waiting. And they got promised by the Holy Spirit. And I love that story you read. And it's like you're reading the story. And there's the Holy Spirit promised Simeon. And then the Holy Spirit said to Simeon, go to the temple. He's here. You know? What is he doing? Just minding his life, carrying on. All right, it's time to go to the temple. It's time. Remnant. See, there's, there's a group of believers today around the world that are like a remnant. That are holding on to these truths, not being bound by all this narrative around the world. And we're holding on to truth because we're people of faith. Okay? So from the time of Jesus was here, this small group held on to this message of the Messiah. And those who called themselves, they witnessed this new covenant being established. Okay? And from that, we, see, we saw thousands at Pentecost being saved and added to the church in that day. Okay, I want to just touch on this final thing as we wrap up here. The story... Later opens up if you get to Acts 10. And this is a very important story to understand, as I was saying to us as Gentiles, where the time of the Gentiles will come to an end. It's important to know our beginning and how we were grafted in and when it all took place. Okay? So the story happens in Acts 10 where Peter's lying on that roof of the house and he sees this vision of this food coming down and there's different. And he says, well, the Lord says, you know, rise eat and uh, kill and eat. And he's like, well, why would I eat that food? He says, Lord says, don't tell me what's clean or unclean, you obey me. And he was obedient in that. And then Cornelius, a Roman centurion in Caesarea down the way, is, is also asking of the Lord. Oh God, calling out. And the Lord saw his prayers and his elms, it says, were honored before because he was doing good to people. But he wanted to know more about who this God was. And God arranged that Peter, a Jewish man who would never ever in customs of the day would be able to enter and be in a Gentile's home. It was against everything. You wouldn't do it. And then Peter was obedient. Okay? And it said, this is when Peter arrived at Cornelius' house, and he's speaking to him. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. And he's saying this to this group of people in this home, saying, God is not showing partiality here. The gospel of the kingdom of Jesus is now being brought to you the Gentiles. And that's the moment we got grafted in. And all of heaven said, yes, it's time. 
And Paul, the apostle, was sent as an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter kept on saying, and he went on, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on the Gentiles. Remember one thing here. When you read the Bible, everything about the Bible is Israel-centric. It's Jerusalem-centric. Do you know that the world is going to be ruled by a Jew? His name is Jesus. So you can fight it and you can be against it, all this stuff as much as you want. But one day, if you're a true believer and walk by faith, a Jew is going to rule over you. In love. In goodness. Hey, think about it. You've got to get that to settle in. Okay, so at this point, the Gentiles were grafted in. We as the ecclesia, okay, now listen to this carefully. We are not now the new Israel. Okay, it's important to understand these things. We are just Israel. Okay, remember, spiritual term that was spoken over God's people. The other Israel of the descendants from Abraham, the biological and physical Israel, they're still there. But we've been grafted into the true, the real Israel, not the new Israel. Okay? Real Israel is those who have faith and believe now in the covenant of Jesus and Messiah. The earthly, the olive tree... The olive tree is not earthly Israel. Okay? It's not the land now Israel as we see now and the government and everything that's operated. That's not how God sees. The olive tree is the believers who belong to Abraham are now this true Israel. So let's understand as I wrap this up. There is a true Israel that consists of believers of faith now upon the covenant of Jesus Christ. There is still a biological and physical nationalistic, 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 evangelistic, Okay, nationalistic Israel. Thousands gathered to the bay on Sunday morning. That's, that's evangelistic. You, you, you're talking way beyond the numbers. Thousands gathered. Okay, so there's still a biological, physical, nationalistic... Is, nationalistic. Time, we got time. Five past. Nationalistic Israel. Okay? When they became a nation of unbelievers and crucified Jesus... Remember this, okay? It doesn't the Romans that crucified Jesus. Israel crucified Jesus and cut off the olive tree. So in AD 70, there was a break. Jerusalem was destroyed. And this, the Israel became a scattered people. They didn't have a land. They didn't have a nation. But there were still those that believed. There were still those, and there's where the ecclesia and the grafting it together. And we stand as one, brothers and sisters, and that all together. Okay? They've been cut away for a moment from their privileged position. Okay, so if you read Romans 11, like we did last week, Paul's building his case there. Okay, so if these natural branches, they can't be put back. This, he says, this can take place. Those natural branches that were the original ones, they've been cut off now, but in a moment, God can put them back in. So don't be, don't be so arrogant in your position, because they will be grafted back in. Okay? Um, where did I say that? And this can take place, so we mustn't harden our hearts. So this is why he says in Romans eleven twenty six, all Israel will be saved. That's what we're trusting. That's what we're believing for. And sorry, the numbers were, yes, 8 million that live in the nation. They say there's about 150,000 believers, Messianic believers that live in Israel. There's 8 million nationalistic Israel. We need to see a revival. Okay? We need to wait and see and see what God will do because that branch will at some stage be grafted back in. See, the time of the Gentiles will come to an end. 
and all Israel will be saved. This is why he was saying the gifts are irrevocable. The gifts are without repentance because it's not what they deserve, but God in his love is going to do it anyway. That's why we don't understand the depth of the love of God. That's why we've got to look at his promises that he said thousands of years ago that he doesn't change from. Okay? And this is the, the point of we understand is that they don't deserve it, but it's by grace. That's why you will never be saved by works. Because it's only grace that saves you. Okay? So now you see the significance of the nation, the nationalistic nation of Israel becoming a recognized nation in 1948. Okay? This is part of the restoration. Okay, it's not, it doesn't mean, okay, now it's, yeah, well, we're here, we're ready to go. No, it's still, we still need a revival in that nation that people will turn to the Messiah. We need to believe and trust that those times will come. But see what's happened in our lifetime. That for nearly 2,000 years, a scattered people, now they've been brought to the land, that's part of covenant that God's speaking about. Okay, God, remember, God never forgets. Okay, now I'm wrapping up. I'm on the last trait. Okay, this is a, surely a sign that spiritual revival and restoration to the nation. So, as we wrap up here, we are as the church, we are the true, the real Israel. We haven't replaced Israel. Okay, we are not the new Israel. We are the true Israel. Okay, and we've been added and grafted into this great story that began in the Jewish foundation of the church. And Acts 10 was that moment when it was all brought together. So, God doesn't have two groups of people. There's one people. There are not two ways to salvation. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't be saved by law or your nationality. You're only saved through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, because we're living under that covenant now. Israel will be saved when they see Jesus and come to faith. We are fellow citizens now with the saints because we've been grafted in and all the promises of Abraham now belong to us. That's why the Old Testament is not like, well, that's their story. This is our story. No, no. We are, that is relevant to us. Because it's, we are, we've been grafted into the full story. Right from the beginning to Abraham's covenant that was set in place with us. So now we can read verses like this. So sorry, I did say that. We are the real and true Israel. Israel. Then the final one. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs. According to the promise. So because of this, what can we be? We can only be one thing. Very thankful. Very thankful. And let us honor our fellow Jewish brothers and sisters who also profess faith in Jesus Christ. And let our prayers for revival in Israel. This is why they pray for the peace of Israel. Pray for the peace of Israel. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. Okay? And that is truly a sign of the time when all Israel will be saved. Okay? I'm going to leave it there. We can pray because time's up. Okay? You've got to catch it. It's a spiritual understanding. It's a difference between the nationalistic Israel on the land. Father, we thank you that Jesus, you came and set an order and a covenant in place where your people rejected you, but you have, through your promises, brought the salvation to us, the Gentiles. We are ever thankful for your heart for us. But we know a time is coming when our time will come to the end and more and more and more of Israel will be saved. The nation of Israel will be coming and joining and being part of this real true Israel that is your ecclesia today, standing, believing, and trusting for the good things of your kingdom that have been established in this day. Father, I pray that these things that I've spoken over these last weeks will settle into our hearts as revelation, not understanding, Revelation of truth.
And we bless you today for your goodness in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. amen. I want to encourage you just to also remember that you can send your questions in. We've had one person send some questions in, and there's a group of people that are looking at all of that, and we will take some of them and add them, talk to them about on Sunday mornings if they're relevant to it. But remember, ask. Have a fantastic week.